Welcome to the OA Light a Candle Meeting podcast. Visit our website at oalaig.org where you will find several speaker feeds with over 800 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep this special service active. The opinions expressed on the Light a Candle podcast are those of individual OA members and do not represent OA as a whole. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Leon B. Good evening. Uh, my name is Leon B. I'm a gratefully recovered compulsive overeater from Simpsonville, South Carolina. Um, I hope my my internet connection it has flashed a couple of times that it's weak, but just let me know if I if I go out. I've been told if you cut the video off, then that improves it. But um, anyway, I'm very grateful to be asked to speak on this meeting again. Um, I'm not sure when was the, the last time I spoke and I wanted to make sure that I didn't sort of tell the same story, um, but my story is my story. So um, I have been in OA for 17 years now. Wow, that I don't think I've ever said that, the total time I've been in OA. Um, I came to OA in 2005 and I didn't get recovered until April 30th, um, 2018. Um, so you may ask, so I have nearly three years come April 30th this year. Um, so yes, 13 years of, of, of wandering. Um, and, and I sort of want to tell my story. It's, it's the same story, but just a, a bit differently. Um, um, sort of in the, the coming from the chapter of the, of the doctor's opinion. So um, how I learned about OA, oddly enough, was in a pharmacology class I was taking and we were learning about the the abstinence syndrome in alcoholics and it's so weird and I thought about this today as I was taking a shower about the abstinence syndrome in, in alcoholism it explains what happens to long-term drinkers who all of a sudden stop drinking and, and, and they become abstinence without help and they go through these these stages, you know, their heart rate goes up, their blood pressure goes up, they become sweaty as as the hours go by from 48 to 72 hours, they can start to have um, shakes and then they can go into delirium tremens and, and this whole syndrome can end in death, you know, and we often say in these rooms that being abstinent in, in OA, it sucks because you, you feel everything better. You feel anger, you feel sadness, you feel if you don't have this food to numb you, you, you feel so much. And that's our abstinence syndrome. Alcoholics, they have it um, pretty severe. And so my instructor, he pointed out that there was really only, only one thing that could help alcoholics. He said that was a 12-step program. And um and I said okay and so he he went on to name twelve step programs for all kind of addictions for gambling and sex and narcotics and he said food and I said food so that that caught my attention um, this was in two thousand and five and so we were just using computers in in the classroom in this particular studies uh, that I was in and so I I got on AOL or something in Google I I don't know how I ended up finding OA. But I, so I Googled 12, or I searched for 12-step programs for food, and OA pops up. And a meeting right down the street from the, the college that I was attending um, was, was probably within two miles. And so 
I, I mean, at the time, I, I was going through something that something, I, I had a habit that became compulsion. I had a habit that became an obsession where I stopped at a gas, and I can't remember how it happened, stopped at a gas station to get some gas, went into the gas station. You heard this story before, I'm sorry, but I went into the gas station and just getting gas, gas is going, I walk inside, pick up a Diet Coke and this nut chocolate mixture. Um, and I enjoyed it, ate it on my, my drive home. Then the next day and the next day, I, I would do the same thing. I would stop not even needing gas. And I would get this nut chocolate mixture along with the Diet Coke. And then I added in an, a Twix ice cream bar and then a Snicker ice cream bar. And all the while, I'm still getting this nut chocolate mixture and Diet Coke. And then it, then it was um, a bag of jalapeno chips. And um, it was about a 20 minute ride from the university to my home. And I would eat this food as I'm driving. Um, and my wife would catch, she would like go in, go in the car the next day and just see all these rappers. And, um, and she would hold it up and like, what, what is going on with you? And I was so ashamed, you know, and I didn't, didn't even know what I was doing. So, um, so I would stop at a gas station closer to home and I would clean my car out so she wouldn't see it. Um, and so this went on for some time. And late at night, I would be at my desk at the university and I'm studying. And this thing, this, this craving, this obsession, it would just drive me to have to stop studying and, and have pack up my books to go to the gas station and get this mixture. And not to mention, the, I was in med school, and I was the, probably one of the, first of all, I was 10 years older than everybody. Um, and then I was probably one of the most heaviest folks in my, in my class. I was probably around 260 at the time. Um, I would never weigh myself beyond 259 pounds. I really didn't want to see the scale um, beyond that. So I, I know I was somewhere in, two, in the 260s. Um, and I was, you know, I, I stood out really like a sore thumb. And I, so I was trying to lose weight, trying to lose weight. I had always struggled with weight. That's a whole different um, light of candle meeting. But believe me, I've, I've struggled with weight from, from childhood. I heard someone today tell a story about how they ate a bottle of aspirin because they liked the, how sweet it was and and i can totally identify and they talked about eating mayonnaise sandwiches when they were and i can totally identify i ate a bottle of aspirin it was the color red and i thought it was red hots and i was like a toddler and i poured the whole bottle down my mouth thinking i don't know what, what was going what i was going to get from that so from a child i've had this issue growing up i was in the military in the military i had issue i, I would never make the weight, you had to, had to be a certain height, certain weight to, to stay in the military. And I would often not make that weight. And so I've struggled with weight, just let me, let me qualify. And so when I finished my time in the military, I started, um, I started uh, um, my, my bachelor's degree and then I went and started med school. So just to catch you up. And so I knew I had a problem, I was overweight and I kept stopping at this gas station for, the, for these snacks. And when he mentioned this 12-step program, I went straight to a meeting, I walk in, no one looks like me. Um, everyone's much older than, than I am and everybody's crying. And I'm like, I don't know what this is, you know? And so they would, they would go around the room and they would share and, and then they would be crying during the share. And at the end of the share, they would say, but I didn't eat over it, you know? And I was like, well, I don't really know what this is, but whatever they have, I don't. So I left. 
Um, but there was something that they said in that meeting that stuck, you know, and I ended up going to, a, I found another meeting on the other side of town and I walked in, in into this meeting and it was, it was diverse, you know, it had men, um, it had women, older women. So it, it was more of a diverse group. And I walk in and I see one of my professors and I'm in shock that my professor is in this is in this class, is in this meeting. And I walk up to him because he's thin as a rail. And I was like, why are you here? And he said, oh, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a compulsive over here. And, and he opens up his book and he shows me his photos of, of how big he was. And, and I was sold. I wasn't sold on the program. I was sold on whatever he was doing I wanted to do. And so I asked him to sponsor me immediately. He's like, sure, you know, you know he's, we're in the same profession. He would totally get it. We're, we're both men. And he starts to take me through these steps. I didn't really care much about the steps. I really wanted to do whatever he was doing to lose the weight. So he places me on this diet, which I have now come to understand it was Gracie. And, and I lost weight like, I mean, like that. I mean, I was thin as, or I hadn't been this thin since high school. And I was loving it. I was crazy as hell in my brain. But I, I was loving being thin. All of my um, colleagues were like, oh, Leon, you, you look great. Good, good job. And, you know, I hadn't worked a single, well, in my mind, I, I hadn't really worked a step. I just, he was taking me through this book and he had it all highlighted. And, and, and we were going through the steps and going through the steps. And we started with the doctor's opinion. And when he explained to me this allergy of the body, and and I really I, I couldn't get it. I was like, what what does alcoholism have to do with me eating? And why are we studying this blue book? I, I know this blue book because my father was an alcoholic. I've seen this blue book. I had to I had to go to Alateen meetings and Al-Anon meetings. My mother made me go to these meetings. I absolutely hated it. Uh, so I knew something about the twelve steps. Um, I dabbled in alcohol. I was not a, never an alcoholic, but I had some alcohol related incidents and while in the military if you have those they make you go to aa so i actually sat in a meeting of aa when i was 18 years old i had a dui so i knew a little bit about these steps and but i had no idea how these steps could relate to food and so he so we're, we're going through we're going through the doctor's opinion he's, he's explaining this allergy this phenomenon i'm like yeah sure i i believe it anything to get this diet you know, and so then we go through step one. And we talk more about step one, step two. We get to step three. He has, he has me do some prayer. Um, I'm like, okay. And then we get to step four. We kind of, things get really confusing because I don't understand this inventory. And he's married to an Asian young lady, goes to Chinese New Year over in China and goes into relapse. Calls me from China. Leon, you're on your own. I'm in relapse. Find another sponsor. And I'm and I'm I jokingly say, oh, I'm getting ready to eat whatever I want. I was just joking, but I'm telling you how, how crazy I was. I wouldn't eat anything other than was on that sheet, other than what I was eating. And I was I would snack at these little shots of sugar from Mentos. I would be in the line, you know, popping Mentos at the grocery store just to you know calm me because I'm really in the abstinence syndrome. And I just thought of this today while I was showering. While I was showering, I'm abstinent and I'm crazy as a bat. I'm not shaking. I'm not going through DTs. My heart rate's not going up, but I'm, but I am just what Dr. Silkworth says that I am restless, irritable, and I am discontent. 
I don't know this. I have no clue. This is 2005. And so I managed to not get back into food. I managed to just, you know, keep keep the, the binge that was coming off by popping Mentos. And, and I end up in this party in Atlanta. My, 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 my first cousin's daughter was having a birthday party. And I had two teenage sons at the time. And, and I've told the story before. And um, so everyone's outside playing. Now, I am restless. I am irritable. And I am discontent. And I don't even know it. I'm just like wound up on the inside. But I'm thin. And so everyone's outside playing, and I am alone inside with chicken fingers and, and a sheet cake. No joke. What happens, like, if you read this book, you know, the, the, the thought that precedes the first bite can be any thought. Hmm, what if I can try one of these chicken fingers? Um, that's my alarm to call my sponsor. Um, and I said, all right, I'll go over and get a chicken finger, dip it in some honey mustard, I eat it. I get another one, I eat it, and what, what, what have I just done? I've now set this, this allergy off, this phenomenon of craving, I'm craving. And I said, oh, I just have a, a piece of, of cake, which turns into another slice of cake, another block of cake, more chicken fingers. And I went, I mean, literally, uh, I ate half the sheet cake and almost half of the chicken fingers. And my cousin comes in, no lie, and probably one day I'll have to, be honest with him about but I really don't have to. But anyway, he comes in and he says, Man, these kids have eaten half the sheet cake already in all these chicken fingers. And I'm like, yeah, huh. And that was me. Um, and so, oh, it was on. I mean, I had now, I've I've understand this now that I just set the the allergies going. The phenomenal craving is kicking. I hadn't eaten anything in probably four or five months. And I'm thinking about the drive home from Atlanta to Columbia, South Carolina, the Krispy Kreme along the way, the McDonald's along the way, the the gas station, which I can get my nut chocolate mixture, the, the jalapeno potato chips. It was a four-hour drive. It was a four-hour binge. I was sick to my stomach by the time I got home. And I said, okay, I'm not going to do this tomorrow. Tomorrow I'm going to get back on the the diet mm, that that never happened. So on started this up and down in weight because I gained all that weight back in front of all of my colleagues, and it was quite embarrassing. And I was quite depressed going going through my residency as this this blimpy guy, and I'm I'm in healthcare and I don't look like I care about my health, and and I'm in training. I have I don't have any self confidence because I have all this weight, and it was just hard time going through training with all this self-loathing and I'm in and out of the rooms. I get a sponsor. They have me work. I never went back to this book. Now I'm working tools, you know, and I, I managed to, to lose a bunch of weight using the tools. They even had me do a meeting on a Sunday. I could not tell you one step during this meeting. I could tell you the 12 tools I use, but I, I could not recite one step. And thank God, no one else in the room knew about steps either because no one asked me a question like, how do you do your step 10 or how do you do your, your, your nighttime review? I would have looked at you foreign because I had never, never really read this book. And um, so, of course, I gained the weight again and lost the weight, gained the weight, finished training, had to move to a different city in South Carolina where the OA was not as strong. It's very strong now, but it was not as strong in 2011. And so... I am, I'm, now I'm out and I'm practicing, I'm very depressed, I'm very overweight, um, and I found this diet. 
this end-all, be-all diet. I remember sitting in this briefing, looking at my time, sitting in this briefing, and I'm looking at this guy, and he's selling me on this, this diet. And I'm like, you know, all right, what the heck? And it's very expensive. It, it was very expensive. It's about three grand. Um, and I said, all right, what the heck? I, I've tried every other diet, you know, why not? And, um, and so I follow this diet to a T, and I lose like I lose 80 pounds. You know, I'm like in the 160s. I mean, looking like a crackhead. My wife hated it. I loved it. Oh, I was so thin. You know, loved it. You know, what black man wants to be thin? <laughs> I have no idea, but I did. You know, <laughs> I cared about how I looked. I wanted to eat and be thin. So I identified. And um, and so that was just me. And so um, I'm I'm like keeping. I'm look, look real good. Of course, you have to come off this diet. Cause you can't eat 800 calories a day for the rest of your, of your life. Most of you know what diet this is. It involves a shake and a bar um, and some soup. And so I start eating. Of course, I don't, I go back to eating the same way. Set this allergy off again, gaining the weight back. I said, man, I got to find a way to keep this weight off. So what do I do? I get into the world of racing, you know, five K's turn to 10 K's turn to half marathons, turn into training for marathons, getting into Sprint, which is a triathlon with dreams of going to Hawaii to compete in Ironman. So now I'm training like I'm going to the Olympics. I'm getting up in the morning to ride my bike for 30 out, for, for thirty miles. I'm swimming at lunch a mile and a half. I am running in the streets for 10 miles. I'm nowhere near my family. And my wife is like, her, I have the most beautiful, gorgeous wife that, I mean, just all over, inside and out, inside mostly, that just really put up with me for these, I don't know how, all these years. And um, away from my family, but I can eat. If I could burn 3,000, I could eat 3,000. And I'll eat one of those big old things, bags of Doritos. And um, and, and I, I managed to keep it off. Now, OA was gone. I mean, that was, I wouldn't even think about OA because I found this diet. And I knew that I could always go back um, to that diet if I needed to slim back up. And so fast forward, 2017, it's July. I'm on my way to a medical conference in Florida. I get into it, involved in a hit and run. It caused our car to take a few tumbles. We end up upside down in the middle of Highway 95. Thank God it was one in the morning. And someone pulls over to try to get us out of the car and out of the middle of the road. Um, it was a, a guy driving 18-wheeler. The, the, the driver goes out in the, the front of of a 95 to just flag cars to move over. And the other guy stoops down and say, hey, I'm gonna get you guys out. And just as he says that, he gets, he gets cut in half right in front of me. His lower torso was pinned to the front of our car and his upper torso shot 20 feet. And I saw this, thank God my kids and my wife didn't. And I freaked out, um, but the car hit us enough that knocked us out of the median onto the side we were able to get out, and that was a very traumatic experience. The resort heard about what happened. 95 was shut down that area, and they knew. I, I go there every year. They knew my name when I walked in. I had come from the hospital, glass all over, blood everywhere. They said, you know, Mr. Buffalo, go up to your room. Your room is ready. Just go to your room. Don't worry about checking in. We get up there. We got baskets everywhere, food. I mean, everything you think of, and I remember saying, I called the case of the, the, the ethics and I was going to eat whatever I wanted to eat. And Owen started this binge in July. Um, probably around September, I had put on an enormous amount of weight. Probably I gained 50 pounds. And I remember looking at my wife saying, 
I, I don't have it in me again. I, I, I cannot, I cannot lose this weight again. And she says, yes, you can. I, I saw you do it. I couldn't even stop eating. And, and so I'm, I'm probably, I'm, I'm in the two forties at this point and headed, headed back up to that two sixty plus And, um, and I have my earbuds in and you probably heard the story. If you, if you, you were here last year, my, my earbuds are in and I fall to the bed and an OA LAIG, this light of candle meter comes on. And this guy is telling my story. I mean, he is, I mean, he is describing everything, how I feel, what I've gone through. And it's really what it was like and what he did and what it's like now, you know, how we normally tell our stories. And I, and I had completely forgotten about OA and sort of hit myself on the forehead like I should have had a V8. And I said, I need to go back to OA. I had tried everything. These steps I've never given a try. And, and uh, they always say OA is the last house on the block. And it, for me, it truly was. I went back this time with a much different attitude. And this group had grown. This group had, I mean, they had great, great recovery. And it was a Saturday meeting and everyone began to share and talk about their experience. They're going through the steps. They're talking about the big book and how it's changed their life. And I get up right in the middle of this meeting and walk out because I knew, I said, this is where I need to be. And I don't know if I had something to do. I don't know if the pressure of everything got to me. I'm not still sure to this day why I got up and walked out, but a young lady followed behind me and she said, I'm sorry, did we, did we say something to offend you? I said, no, no, I, this is what I am. I, I will be back. And she gave me the biggest hug, the OA hugs that I, I really, really miss that we haven't had with this pandemic. Gave me a big hug and, and, I, and I came back. I'm not gonna tell you, I'm not gonna go, uh, I, I'll tell you this one. So I, I go back that Monday, I go to a meeting. Now I've been to this meeting before. I know where to keep all of the, the literature and the books. I show up, no one's there except me and another person. And this person is a newcomer. And I'm like, well, there's no one here to run the meeting. Well, I, I guess that's going to be me. So I go get everything, I set up, and then the regulars walk in and they're all looking at it like, who's this guy running this meeting? So I said, well, there, there was no one here. Then the next, so the next Monday, exact same thing. I'm there. Two people are there. Both are newcomers. I'm like, well, I guess this is where my higher power wants me to be. I ended up leading that meeting. Um, so I tried to get a sponsor and couldn't get a sponsor. No one there was sponsored men, but they turned me on to a phone meeting. I called in, got a sponsor. My sponsor wanted me to, this is a whole different story. My sponsor wanted me to get 48 hours of, you know, not eating my binge foods, had me write them out and everything. And of course, my son had a Boy Scout trip that weekend and I had to get his snacks for the Boy Scout, which were my snacks. I ate all those snacks all weekend. And then that Sunday was April 29th, 2018. I had to report and I said, well, didn't get to 48 hours. He said, oh, well, that's all right. It's always tomorrow. He said, we can start tomorrow. And I said, well, but tomorrow's my birthday. You know, he said, Leon, there's always going to be an excuse to eat. And that just like really resonated with me. And that next day, I prayed as hard as I could have prayed to have a day because everyone knows that I love carrot cake. I normally get three or four carrot cakes on my birthday and I got just that many. Um, but the day was orchestrated only by HP. You know, I wrote out what I was going to eat. 
I told my son who's the chef what I wanted him to cook. I told my wife no cake this year. We're doing fruit, and that was my first day of abstinence. And I got the, and I got the forty eight hours, and we worked through the books. And I'll tell you, it, it took a month for me to go through all the steps, and I was sponsoring, and that those that whole experience of going through the steps was just um, really amazing. But I will tell you, now I have experience with this doctor's opinion. And when this doctor says that, this is Bill talking, but we are sure that our bodies were sickened as well. And he talks about the doctor's theory that we have an allergy to alcohol, how it, it interests us. He says, as laymen, our opinion to its soundness may of course mean little, but as ex-problem drinkers, we can say that his explanation makes good sense. Nothing could explain, why would I eat all of those chicken fingers? Why would I eat, I'm looking at the time, why would I eat a half a sheet cake? You know, nothing would explain this. And it explains many things for which we cannot otherwise give an account. Then this doctor's opinion, it's on uh, Roman numeral 24. He said, we believe, this is his opinion. No, the doctor's now giving his opinion. We believe, and so suggested a few years ago, that the action of alcohol on these chronic alcoholics is a manifestation of an allergy. And how does this thing manifest? That the phenomena of craving is limited to this class. Then you go over to um, XXV or Roman number 25. After they have succumbed to the desire again, as so many do, and the phenomena of craving develops, they pass through the well-known stages of a spree, which I did at that party, chicken fingers, half a sheet cake, four-hour binge going home, well-known stages of a, of a spree, emerging remorseful with a firm resolution not to drink again. I said I was not going to binge on those foods again, trying to go back to that diet. It didn't work. But if you back up to the bottom of exit of uh, Roman number 24, where it says, says to them, men and women drink essentially because they like the effect produced by alcohol. The sensation is so elusive that while they admit it is injurious, they cannot, after a time, differentiate the true from the false. To them, their alcoholic life seems the only normal one, which for many years I thought compulsive eating was the way to go. But this is what I was talking about. This, this is our abstinence syndrome. We're not going through DTs. We're not having seizures. Day four of no, of no Oreos. And no, our heart rates don't go up. But this where it says they are restless, they are irritable, they are discontented, unless they can again experience the sense of ease and comfort, which comes at once by taking a few drinks, drinks they see others taking with impunity. That's, that was me. I had no clue that I was restless, irritable, discontent, and I was hunting for something to ease that. And for me, it had always been numbing myself with alcohol. Um, Roman number 26. It said there are many situations which arise out of the phenomena of craving which cause men to make the supreme sacrifice rather than to fight. Drop down. This is his opinion. All these, this is, I'm still on XXVI, all these and many others have one symptom. This is, this is after he describes the types of alcohol. No matter which type you are, this is the one symptom that they all had in common. All these and many others have one symptom in common. They cannot start drinking without developing the phenomena of craving. 
the phenomena, as we have suggested, may be the manifestation of an allergy which differentiate these people and sets them apart as a distinct entity. You got to, I, I know that I am different. I know that my body is wired differently. I know that chicken fingers don't set people off to eat more chicken fingers. The allergy is this bodily reaction that we have. The, this phenomenon- 10 minutes. 10 minutes, okay, great. Oh, I thought I had to be done by nine to great. So this, this, this phenomena of craving, it, it doesn't happen until you put it in. This is the, ma the manifestation of the allergy is the phenomenon of craving. And it does not happen until you put that substance in. Once you put it in, then you're off to the races. I was like, this time going through it, and after 13 years of practicing, oh, I got it. Because it explained why I couldn't eat one Oreo. You know, there was this thought, I can have one Oreo. That was the, the thought that preceded the first Oreo. And I would always tell myself, I'm going to have one Oreo, which turned into one row, which turned into two rows, which turned into the entire package, along with moose track ice cream. I love, loved moose track ice cream. And then I would be sick, stuffed, standing, belly full, I mean, sleeping, waking up, and I would start this thing all over. I would pick a fight with my wife just that I knew she would go upstairs and go to bed. And I would have the kitchen and the living room all to myself. And I could just eat as much as I wanted to eat. I really look forward to that. So then he says, so then he goes on to say, because this, this is the doctor's opinion on, at the bottom of XXVI. The only relief he said, the only relief we have to, to suggest is entire abstinence. Now, I told you what happens when we're abstinent. You know, he's saying, don't drink anything. Don't put your problem foods in your body. Don't put your problem ingredients in your body. That's the only thing we have to suggest. And wouldn't that be great if that's the only thing <laughs> that we had to do? Was just stop eating and then the allergy would stop but no we have to deal with the second part and 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 he does get into it but not a whole lot you got to go forward in the book to get into what happens in this mind that drives us back into the food so if you can't start because you have this disease or you have this manifestation of this allergy or you turn on this phenomena of craving if you can't start because you're going to turn it on and then you can't stay stopped because of your mind driving you into it, then that is the very definition of disease. You are in, you are in a cycle. You know, your mind is driving you into it. Your body is driving you to continue. Even if you stop, your mind is gonna make you go, go right back into it. That is the very definition of, of, the, of the disease. And then he, then he says, he said this immediately, precipitates us into a seething cauldron of debate. Much has been written, pro and con, but among physicians, the general opinion seems to be that most chronic alcoholics are doomed. If you are, this is a common statement said, if you are as alcoholic as I am, you know, I know, and I love how the big book just lays it out, you know, the thought has to be smashed. It says smashed that I am normal that i will ever be able to eat like 
a normal eater. That thought has to be smashed. That's almost, I heard someone say, that's like step zero. You know, you, you, you have to get that down. And for me, it took experience. Maybe just having this talk is not going to resonate with some of you. I'll tell you that right now, because it didn't resonate with me. I heard people talk all the time early in OA. I had to have, and I'm one of those people that, that don't learn by your, your mother telling you to not do this, because this will happen. Well, I'm going to go do it. You know, and so just because you tell me if, if you early on, if you put the food down, this would happen because I would think about I can never have cake again early on. I would start crying over not being able the thought of the thought of never being able to have an Oreo in 2006 would have made me it did. It would make me sad. The thought that I could never have X food would really now have that birthday cake since my 2017 birthday. Um, haven't had an Oreo since 2018. All of those food, and people are amazed. Like, how, how, can you, how can you stay away from that? If they really want to know, I'll tell them. Most of them will say, no, that's not for me. But it took, it took all of that experience for me to come to appreciate this doctor's opinion and this allergy of the body and this allergy, how it manifests as a phenomena of craving. It starts, this, this bodily manifestation, this allergy of the body starts when you pop that first thing or ingredient into your body. And then the, this mind that drives you into it, that's a, a, a totally different talk. But he ends this chapter. You probably didn't think you were gonna get a, a, a big book study, but, um, but I love this because this is how, what, where HP has been taking me lately. He ends the chapter saying, what is the solution, right? What is, he said, and he, don't, he doesn't tell you. Now, he does talk about a moral psychology, which we have come to understand this, this, this separation or this spiritual awakening um, that we have. You know, the doctor would, would never come out and say that, you, you know, he would have to spin it into some medical jargon. He doesn't come out and tell you. He says, what is the solution? Then he says, perhaps I can best answer this by relating one of my experiences. And he goes through these two stories. And you have to, and I've, and I've, I've read this, he goes through these, these two stories and essentially he's saying, he's telling you what it was like for these people. You know, what happened and what it was like afterwards. And this first guy, I mean, he had a gastric, hemi gastric hemorrhage, bleeding from his stomach. His mind was deteriorating, lost everything worthwhile. Um, was only living to drink, and he admitted, he frankly admitted and believed that for him, no hope. Now, I felt the same way. Absolutely no hope. Following the elimination of alcohol, that's a theory he talks about in here. Your mind has to be cleared, of, has to be defogged, or you have to have some moments when you're not into your food or your ingredients in order to receive this message. This is a common theme in this chapter. He said, um, following the elimination of alcohol, there was found to be no permanent brain injury. He accepted the plan outlined in this book. That, you have to put down, this is what I did. I put down my food and I was at this point, I was ready and willing and I accepted the, the plan outlined in this book. And he says, one year later, he called to see me and he didn't even recognize this guy. He said, from a trembling, despairing, nervous wreck had emerged a man brimming over with self-reliance and 
and contentment. He talked with him, still didn't know who he was, felt, felt like he was a stranger. This is the metamorphosis that takes place in this program. You put this food down, you work these steps, and I and I a, this is another whole third light a candle meeting, and I can tell you all the things that took place in my life when I put this food down and start to and start to um, work out these steps. This is one thing that you can you see this. This is one thing that that came out of it. Then he goes into his second story. I'm looking at my time. He says, "When I need a mental uplift, I think of another case by a, by a prominent physician in New York who had made his own diagnosis, and again, this guy's hopeless." He says he is hopeless, had hidden in a deserted barn, determined to die. He says he was rescued following his physical rehabilitation. Again, they had to get him cleaned up for him to receive these steps. He had a talk with me in which, frankly, he stated he thought a treatment a waste of effort unless I could assure him, which no one ever had, that in the future he would have the willpower to resist the impulse of drink. And he talked about how depressed he was. It was so great. And he says, however, he did become what? He became sold on the ideas contained in this book. All right? Got to become sold on this. He has not had a drink for a great many years. I see him now and then, and he is a fine specimen of a, of a manhood as one could wish to meet. I earnestly advise every alcoholic to read this book through him. And though perhaps he came to scoff, he may remain to pray. And it was 919. Um, and I, that is, he's telling you that you have to clean yourself up, clear your mind, accept these steps, work these steps. And it's just like that LA OIG light a candle meeting I listened to in 2017, that guy told his story. I don't know who he was, told his story, what it was like, what he did, what happened and how his life changed. I went back to OA purpose in my heart that I was going to give these steps a try. And for nearly three years, my life has not been the same. And it's 920, so I will stop. Well, 620 your time, and I pass. Okay. Thank you so much, Lee.